ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Great Scott Show. Coming at you on a Thursday. This is my last show this week. My guy, Lynn Burton, will be filling in tomorrow morning. And we'll have plenty of content to chew on with you guys, considering tonight the first round of the NFL draft and game six Pelican Suns. Gus Cadengale, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, typically joins me on Fridays for the Pro Nola segment. He will join me in just a few minutes. We will hit on what are the Saints going to do here? Worst case scenario, best case scenario, a bold prediction for me that is bound to fail regarding the Saints draft tonight. We'll talk about that. We'll get into the Pels. Gerald Broussard is going to join me a little bit later as well. We'll talk some college football and, um, excuse me, we'll, we'll talk NFL draft in terms of Raging Cajuns, Max Mitchell, Percy Butler, where they could go in uh, that process. And we'll also talk about the amazing great event and great cause that will be happening later today at Blackham Coliseum. You can go check it out before playoff games and draft and all that. You can stay late. You can do it all, but we will talk to uh, Gerald later in the show as well. I've opened phone lines at eight o'clock hour NFL draft covers tonight. Here is one thing that I'm interested to see how the NFL's partners cover. And it's not about who's going to be picked as much as it is about a specific team. That being the Washington commanders. Okay. The Commanders, Dan Snyder has been doing crooked, dirty, nasty stuff for years and years, basically since he's owned the team. And I knew years ago when, when, when Washington great John Riggins, many years, it was like 05, was talking about Dan Snyder having, you know, covered the team as closely as Riggins used to, saying the guy's got a dark soul. He's a bad human being. I was like, oh, my blinders went up. Rather, my antenna went up. Wait, what that was that? But you know how it is. You're an owner in the NFL. You can get away with everything for the most part, unless you tick off all the other owners, unless you start taking money from them. And when you have two separate sets of financial books, one containing the entire financial picture of the team, the other including unreported ticket revenue to not only drive up ticket sales against your own fans, but also, more notably, take money out of the pockets of the other owners around the league. Washington fans for years have wanted Dan Snyder out, (laughs) and I don't blame them. But there's never really been anything to make it stick. But when you have the other owners now saying, okay, you're taking money from me. 
Now Snyder is being investigated by the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform. The Virginia Attorney General notified him as such. I mean, you've got employees talking to Congress about Dan Snyder knowing about this this scheme. By the way, Congress uh, is also investigating Washington for their workplace culture and the sexual misconduct and the harassment and everything else. This might actually do it, but it's a bad look for the league. And the league's partners, they'll talk about players or coaches doing something that they deem bad, but owners, they'll cover it a little bit and then move right on. How much will it even be mentioned tonight? Washington picks 11th. Will they even bring up some of the things swirling around? You can say, oh, Scott, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It's the draft. It needs to be the focus. Uh-uh. Every single team, the draft is, is, there's no, it's not a game. It's going on for the next three days. It begins tonight and goes on and on and then tomorrow night and then again Saturday during the day. The amount of content they have to fill, they're not just talking about the players. They're talking about the state of each franchise, every single one of them. Will they even bring that up? Will they? That team desperately needs a new owner. And Dan Snyder finally poking the wrong bear. Maybe something will finally happen. Maybe. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Speaking of the NFL draft, you can hear it right here on ESPN Lafayette tonight. You can hear it tomorrow after the Rage of Cajun softball game. You can hear it Saturday before and after the Rage of Cajun softball game. Speaking of Cajun softball, their game last night against Houston. We'll talk about that later in the show. We'll open phone lines in the 8 o'clock hour. Gerald Brewster in the 8 o'clock hour. But up next, Saints and Pelicans correspondent Gus Cadgill coming at the... I, I keep wanting to say Friday because that's typically when he joins me one day early this week. Gus is joining me next right here on the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette 103.3 on the FM 1420 on the AM streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. For those of you listening via the stream, it's brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Wilson or Champagne's Going the Extra Mile. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Into the great Scott show. I'm Scott Prather, and uh, joining me now, one day early this week on a Thursday for the Pro Nola segment, I will be out tomorrow, is Gus Kattengell, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. We are um, hours away from the NFL draft round one. 
Less than 12 hours away from tip-off at the Blender for Game 6 between the Pelicans and Suns. What will we ever talk about? Gus, good morning, man. How are you? I got to give you credit, man. I should have looked ahead. It's very strategic of you to take off Friday so you don't have to deal with Saints fans losing their minds after the Saints use 16 and 19 to move up to get a quarterback at number five. Good job, Scott. Oof, boy, if that happens, I, I, I'm, well, I'm going to be on a retreat and I'm going to need the, I'm going to need the spirit and God to help me through uh, that dark time in my life. If they do that, holy cow. Here's the thing, though, bro. Don't like it's a, it's supposed to start around eight thirty tonight, and I'm like, I, I mean, look, that's I mean, the fourth quarter. He's on the line. I, what am I yeah, gonna? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to sneak yeah. the phone in there and like kind of, you know, I can't miss the end of the Pels game. But uh, we'll, we'll we're getting to the Pels in a little bit. I wanna wanna kick off with the Saints, and please uh, tell me that that was just a cruel joke. I mean, you don't, you don't actually think they're they're moving up to take a quarterback in a draft that the, 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 the big look, the Daniel Jeremiah's, the, the, the Mel Kuyper's, what, what are they saying? They're saying, well, this, this draft is good, but it doesn't have as much hype because there's not as much top tier quarterbacks at the top. The saints aren't, they're not, they're not actually going to do what you just suggested. Are they? I honestly would be shocked. Oh God. I would be shocked. And quite honestly, scared of the direction of the franchise if they actually do that. Like I'm, I, I, I'm that noted because everything, well, it would make me question, you know, my experience. And, and Scott, you, you and I have known each other when we first started, man. And I just, from reading tea leaves to listening to sound bites to trying to logically conclude by putting this and that together that just makes sense. And when I do all of that, I just don't see it happening. And, you know, to quickly go through it, you, you go to listen to what everybody's kind of said from the beginning to really now in terms of people that I trust are kind of, you know, can, can make a correlation to. And, you know, my thing is I understand them going and seeing about Deshaun Watson. That's Deshaun Watson. That's not, you know, Malik Willis, who everybody says is two, three years away from being a starter. Can he take it to the most ready of them all? It doesn't mean that he's Pat Mahomes. And it just boils down to me with this before I even get to whether or not I want them. If I want them, then I'm believing that there currently are or going to be better than Jameis Winston. So I got to look at what Jameis does. And Jameis is tall, he's got an arm, he's got mobility. He's got command of the huddle. He's got his team and his locker room. All I mean, he's got a lot of things that you're going to hope that this quarterback has. And I just don't see it in, in any of those other guys right now at the time where you are. If you're Carolina, you're Atlanta, looking for identity, looking to start over and, and try to build around something, absolutely makes a ton of sense. But that's my point. I still don't buy Carolina passes up on a quarterback. And if that's the case, that means you got to go to five. So you're telling me at five, you're going to go get Pickett or Willis? I, I, I just can't logically see that. Cam Jordan two weeks ago on ESPN, you know, saying that his expectation level is a 13-1 season because that's what he thought they were last year. That's with Jameis Winston. That's not with a rookie quarterback 
or two spots in the draft that can get you two starters. Like that, that just doesn't make sense because that's where you are at 16 and 19. This draft is deep enough at two areas, thankfully, that you probably need. And that's offensive line and receiver. And when you start looking at, I think, the season of disinformation, and there's always a two or three week period, Scott, where teams are going to do their best using sources, using their reporters that they're friendly with to talk about, man, I really like this player or that player to kind of throw off different scents because they don't want other teams to know or think that they like certain players. And I think that's the thing that you're kind of getting right now with the Saints in, in, in this quarter. I think maybe they're hoping that a team or two jumps them, tries to take a quarterback, and a player can, can fall to them. Mickey Loomis to Peter King two Mondays ago. He thinks at 49, 49, they'll get somebody in their top 20 or top 25. That's, that's a pretty good pick. I've said it before. I, 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 there's a certain offensive lineman that I like from Wake Forest and Zach Tom. Highest RES score ever. He got a perfect score um, as a center. But he's played left tackle the last two years. But he was a center over at Wake Forest in 2019. So at 16 and 19, you can get a starter, at receiver, and at tackle. I really honestly believe that if everything falls down, you saw Maurice Jones-Drew last Friday in a mock draft. He has the Saints using 16 and 19 to move up to 10 for the Jets to get Matt Corral, which is just silly because he's going to be there at 19. You wouldn't need to go up to 10. What, what, what I figured really as well, too, and I know you've always said it, just trust your local guys. And, and, and I mean, I'm watching... Ian Rappaport and Tom Palesero yesterday, and they're doing a live hit on NFL Network around 2 o'clock during the show. And I just potted it up. And there they are, literally talking about, could the Saints take a quarterback in this draft? And it was, it was like hearsay. It was like watching the Johnny Depp trials on TikTok. I mean, it's just, well, you know, they, they, they did sign Jameis, but it's just two years, and, you know, they, they could go for a quarterback, but... Is it this guy? Is it that? They don't know anything. They're literally just saying, well, they could. Yeah, so could anyone else. I just, it's crazy because it's starting to get to the point, Scott, where it's starting to make sense that they, they won't. Like, it, it's in front of you if you look at it. And Charles Davis, I respect him. I like what he does. He put out a, a mock draft, what was this, uh, when, uh, Wednesday, on Wednesday morning, like at 8 o'clock. It was his latest mock draft, and I actually think it's how I think it's going to go. I don't think that teams really feel as strongly about these quarterbacks, even though they need them, as it's going to go. He does not have Carolina going with the quarterbacks, an offensive lineman. He does not have the Falcons going with the quarterback. It's a defensive lineman. He has the Saints at 16 going with Trevor Penning, and then at 19, Chris Olave is there. And they take them. Makes sense. I think that's exactly what I would do and exactly what makes sense and exactly what this team needs. You take the best offensive lineman because it's harder to get. You've said that, Scott. You're paying or you're drafting or you're overpaying for your starting left tackle. That guy's one of the good ones. If you can get him, I mean, you are. And then you'll risk um, what, what happens there at 18. But here's the thing. In that mock draft, the first of the two Eagles picks, they go with Jamison Williams. 
Siri get their receiver. So you know at 18, they're not going to. So if you're the Saints, when you're picking at 16, if that were to happen and the Eagles go receiver, I mean, you could probably submit two cards at once. Yeah, <laughs> because the Chargers be aren't going to take it. But then it's a matter of does someone move up to 18 and, and right. all of that. But at the same time, sure. it's a really deep draft for receivers. So it's unlikely. So to your point, you know, the fact that your picks are close together, you've definitely got um, some strategy involved there. But but with that strategy, you know, and, and projecting, you know, using it to project a mock draft, the reality is nothing is more inaccurate in sports every year than a mock draft. Like, they have the, you know, million, hundred million, billion dollar contest every year to pick the perfect bracket, right, in March Madness. It's, a, it's you try picking a, a perfect first round. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. I mean, people rip on Mel Kuyper every year because, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's funny at times, but, oh my God, he, he only got 22, uh, or he got 22, he got 23 picks wrong. He only got eight or nine first round picks, right? And then, Go start comparing that to the other mock drafts, and you realize, wow, actually, he, he probably actually predicted the most correct ones. But you remember the misses most. The reality is, like all of the mock drafts, you don't. There's not even a there's not even a consensus number one in this one, which a lot of seasons there are. You don't even know who the number one. Like as as unpredictable as drafts are, Gus, and particularly first round drafts. Dare I say this one might? This is the most unpredictable one we've seen in years because. You, there, there's there's a lot of debate about the two quarterbacks that may go in the first round and high high some have them going in the back 20s others have them going at five or six like every mock draft is vastly different there's smoke screens all over the place i get why they do mock drafts but at this point it wouldn't it be better just to have a big board Instead, mock drafts are clickable. It's what people like. But wouldn't it make more sense just to have a big board of, okay, here's how I rank all the players? Because that makes more sense because none of these mock drafts are going to come even close to being correct. Go back and look at the big draft pundits come and see, or shoot, come Friday morning, just the first round, and see how many picks they actually predicted correct. I bet you the majority of them, you're looking at like maybe four, maybe four picks. And I'm not talking about right before the pick is made. I'm talking about what their mock drafts say today. One trade, one player they didn't see coming. It shakes up everything, man. And and I, I guess that's what I like about the draft, the unpredictability of it. But mock drafts just, I, I, I'm going to read them every year, and I'm also going to know, look, I, I'm, just, I'm just wasting my time because this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, it also kind of gives you an idea, though, where maybe some players, to your point, like a big board, um, are kind of arranged or, or where they're going to be, right? I mean, like, let's be honest. Uh, unless those things happen or take place, how many people legitimately know that Trevor Penning was one of the top linemen or he's the third, fourth, you know, lineman sure, available, things sure. of that nature? So, you know, I do think that to your point, that makes sense. You know, you have those big boards or something of that nature to kind of know. And when you do look at, you know, player rankings, uh, to your point, Scott, they don't have, you know, um, those quarterbacks ranked high on. I mean, and that's that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, like I said, it, it's I think it's where you are as an organization and what you kind of need and in the value. I mean, like I said, I I like Corral, um, and if Pickett or Corral is there, you know, at 
at 19, fine. You know, like, no. I, you're not doing no. five. Like, no, no, no I hear you. <laughs> I still would not like it. I still don't. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm not his agent. I promise. I just, I don't see why so many people are so quick to not buy that Jameis Winston can play in the league. Right. And, you know, I just, I, I'm, I don't understand it. it. I mean, it's not like, and again, I'm not being disrespectful, but it's not like watching Taysom Hill, you know, <laughs> and, and going, okay, you, you know there's going to be limitations. You see a ceiling and he's hitting that, it, yeah, you know, and, and you're like, this is about as good as you're going to get right here. And with Jameis, who knows? No, I mean, exactly. it, 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 the Saints are going to do best player available. That's one thing I think even with the new coach that's going to remain the same. Unless maybe it's a running back, even though they need a running back, but they're not going to have a running back with a first-round grade anyway. My point is, like, they're, they're, they're going to take BPA. And um, if it's quarterback, I guess they do it. I hope not. But, you know, O-linemen, receivers, they just they need a lot of offense here. And, and, and so much focus is going to be on what they do tonight. But... They've got four picks in the top 98. They have three picks in the top 49. It's it's about this draft as a whole. Because in 2017, Lattimore, Ramchek. Oh, Ramchek, I wish it had been Reuben Foster. The Niners, they stole one. They got ahead of the Saints. All shucks. No, it worked out pretty dang good. I don't even know where Reuben Foster is right now. But Ramchek is, you know, a multi-time all-pro uh, on the right side and, and one of the best tackles in the league. And, of course, Marshawn. Not Patrick Mahomes. Chiefs jumped ahead of him, but, uh, you know, one of the best corners in the league. But it's that entire draft you look back at as a whole, right? Um, I don't think the Saints are duplicating that over the next couple of days because I don't think you can just duplicate one of the greatest things you've ever done in your career, which for the scouts and, and the evaluators and the GM, that's what they did. But if you can hit, you know, a home run, a couple doubles, couple singles maybe you strike out once or or fly out once that's fine with me right you gotta the batting average needs to be high in this draft and it and in my opinion it needs to be high on the offensive side of the football because saints have good special teams saints have a good defense the saints offense was not good last year i get it injuries blah 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 it wasn't good and you have done nothing in the offseason to improve it yet that needs to take place tonight tomorrow and saturday you know, and to your point, I, I you know, I think we've talked about it on our show as well too. You know, seventeen obviously when I mean, you look at what that standard was, but you know, Scott, I, I'd settle for last year's draft. I mean, let's not forget what you got last year and essentially you found your second cornerback, which was, as you know, Scott, going into last season a massive topic, right? Who's going to start opposite of Marshawn Lattimore? Who's that guy? Well, you found that person, and then you find a guy at linebacker, and Pete Werner, that um, Scott, I don't think they're signing, resetting Quan Alexander. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. you found two starters there. I think Peyton Turner flashed, man. He just got injured. And if you do that, we could be maybe talking got about a 17-like draft because if Turner becomes a starter, say House, you know, Cam Jordan becomes a dominant defensive end, Pete Werner is a starting middle linebacker for five to seven years, Paulson and Debo turns out to be one of the better corners in the league, or at least for the very least, your second starter uh, going into a second contract. Well, that's three right there. 
I mean, that's three right there. I even got to the other, you know, guys in that draft. So I think that's why when you came on our show and I've been saying it on yours to just kind of trust, I guess, what Jeff Ireland have done. They've done better than not, I guess, in a lot of instances on different things. And um, the good thing about it is that the positions and levels that you sort of need players right now, it's a deep draft. So, at least, again, to your point, what the big boards are and um, what will be available. But you, look, it's inaccurate. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. That's right. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's yeah. right. Gus Cagill, our guest. Great Scott show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus, on that note, final thing on the draft. You said it's inaccurate. So let's, let's each give one prediction that's probably doomed to fail um, because the margin for error is... Um, well, extremely, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely near. I mean, you're, the odds of hitting this are not great. My bold prediction is that the Saints, with what will not, they will not move up. They'll stay put. With one of their two first-round picks tonight, they're going to select Jordan Davis. 340-pound D-tackle out of Georgia. Oh, my God, Jonathan Sullivan or Geno Atkins, right? Stop thinking about past Georgia players. Think about him in the present an absolute freak, the versatility, the agility. He can get after the passer. He can be a stopgap in the middle. His tape jumps out. I think as much as I was just saying that they need to go offense, and, and actually I hope they do go offense for the record, my bold prediction that's doomed to fail is that uh, Jordan Davis falls to the Saints with one of those two picks and they take him. Give me a bold prediction that maybe is doomed to fail, Gus, or maybe you're super confident about it either way. Oh, man, I haven't even thought about bold predictions in terms of where they would go. Maybe I say they surprise some folks and maybe take a safety at 16 and 19. I guess maybe that might be a bold prediction. I mean, I know there's one or two that has been sort of mentioned. I still think that's something you could probably get at 49. Um, and we've also seen the Saints move up in the second round if yeah. they target, yep. you know, with somebody to do so. I just for the life of me. I just cannot see this team deviate from that, which probably means they will. They'll probably not take any of the players that I think they're going to get at 16 and 19. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. That is Gus Cagnell. I am Scott Prather. We're going to take a quick timeout when we come back. Pelicans Suns, game six tonight, the third elimination game of the season for New Orleans. And they push this thing to seven. What's the key? What's the buzz? We're digging in all of it next right here. It's the Great Scott Show on a Thursday. Pro Nola segment one day early this week. I'll be out tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. We're right back right after this. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Gus Cattengill, our guest. We talked all about the NFL Draft Round 1. You can hear that tonight on our airwaves. 
Coverage starts at 6. It's going to be a long night in Vegas. They're expecting record numbers to show up. A sellout crowd tonight, though, at the Blender, the Smoothie King Center. And, Gus, I guess my first question for you about tonight's Game 6 is, you're in New Orleans. We just talked about the draft. The Saints have two first-round picks, but this this pesky fight fighting Pelicans team on the brink of elimination, giving the one seed all they want at home. The atmosphere of the blender has been electric as of late. Is the buzz right now in New Orleans? Uh, I could say here it's mixed. Right, you got other sports here too, and but is the buzz there? more Saints-centric with a draft, or is it more Pelican-centric with the playoff game tonight? Dude, it's crazy. So I would tell you that the draft is second this week. At least it was going into the game on Tuesday. If they would have won, I don't think it would have been close to what you know, today and tonight's excitement level sort of is. But I had a bump guess, Scott, Tuesday because the phone lines just would not stop, dude, with Pelican fans' confidence level that they were going to win that game. Um, talking about the team, talking about the emotion, how excited they were now as opposed to where they have been and the future and, I mean, I haven't heard that, dude. Even when CP was here, when AD seemed to be a guy that you could build around, all of that. It's been incredible. And, again, don't take my word for it. John DeShazer, who works for the Saints, you know, writes for them on Saints.com and is a color analyst for the Pelicans. We had him on Tuesday. He said that, in his mind, the draft was second floors by comparison of the opinion and and what's happening him and talking about and everything else and he thinks it's not that obviously the pills have passed the same. It's you know right, one just this moment more immediate right. than the other. Right. Right, exactly. That game could have been for a closeout, you know, one way or shape or form, that you know, it's the immediacy of it. You still have three other days, two other days the draft is a total of three. Those draft picks, you know, you're not really going to see what their impact is until September when the season comes. So, you know, he makes a lot of good points where, you know, game six is about two and a half hours. That's it. That's, that's what it is. It's, you know, 48 minutes. That's it. Whereas with the draft, you're going to have, God, as you know, and I know, we're going to talk about it next week, May, and, and it's a, it's a podium, right? You can you can follow yeah, exactly. it. You can follow it. Remo- I mean, that's right. the way it should be. Um, but right. I know the last time this franchise had a playoff game the same day as the draft, uh, it was in 2009. The New Orleans Hornets were playing an early game against the Denver Nuggets, who ended up absolutely destroying them in Game Four. Everyone remembers the 58 point loss, but in Game Three, the the, the New Orleans Hornets actually won the game. Uh, Sean Marks, the uh, GM of the Nets, was, you know, uh, having a big game for the Hornets that day, and they barely got by, and it was, you know, it wasn't the best of seasons. But 
that was back when the draft started. You know, you had half of it day one, more than half. It started at 10 a.m. Saints took Malcolm Jenkins, and that there was there was more buzz about the Saints. And this was, you know, to that point in time, Gus, the Saints had only won two Super Bowls ever. Excuse me, two Super Bowls. They had won a Super Bowl. Two playoff games ever at that moment in time. They went on to win the Super Bowl that season. My point is, both franchises were in a different place, but it was still far and away. It was the draft. It was the draft. It was the draft. And, oh, yeah, the Hornets, they have a playoff game today. And, look, the, 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 the New Orleans Arena is what it was called at the time. It was, it was loud, and the fans were into it, but it wasn't just the – this Pelicans team, it's not just the fans that you know are there and are going to be there no matter what. It's sort of the whole area, the buzz around the team, the narrative changing nationally from – what a lot of folks have been saying about the team locally. So that's the way it should be. It's an elimination game against a one seed in a series where no team has won two games in a row. And the Pelicans are at home and their backs are against the wall. And, you know, I I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to force a game seven, Gus, but I tell you what, I like their chances. I don't know if I like their chances in a game seven, but it should be. It should be the number one story as far as sports go in the state tonight because the Saints two draft picks, you're going to hear about it. You're going to read about it. You're going to have tons of time to dissect it. But the game, this isn't the Pelicans going up against the Saints who are playing. This is the Pelicans going up, uh, going up against the NFL draft from an interest standpoint. And dare I say, Gus, if you had told us even a month ago, yeah, the Pels will be in the postseason, but... They're going to have a game the same night as the NFL draft. I think you and I both would have said even a month ago, we're following more close, but yeah, most of the attention is probably going to be on what the Saints do in the draft. Tons of attention is on it, Gus, but the Pelicans, I think it goes to show you that in the last month of what they've done and that connection that they've made with the fan base and with more fans, that, that, that it is a step ahead of the draft in terms of interest. And maybe not for everybody listening, and Gus is only speaking from... You know, what he's seeing, I'm speaking from what I'm hearing, and you talk to John DeShazer, and he works for both of the franchises. It seems like in the last month, you've seen that connection made. There's no denying it, regardless of what happens, if the season ends tonight or not. That connection's been made, and we've said it. Feels like it's sustainable. Doesn't feel like it's going to be lost, and that's a beautiful thing. We'll see what happens tonight. But the fact that the interest is there ahead of the draft, I think is very telling about the strides the franchise has made, not just on the court, but off of it in the last month. No doubt. Um, and like I said, I think one of the things that you see, Scott, is an organic build, sort of like you saw in 2006. It was, you know, this team was a team that came back to win those early games. It was, team of misfits. We talk about the Saints, right? About, you know, guys that kind of were castaways like Fujita and players like Lance Moore, who's diminutive, and you're like, who, who's this guy? And eventually you see what happens and how they build around that team. And But it started with the foundation, and I think that's kind of the thing we talked with a lot of the analysts this week, and that was how you have what looks like a pretty good foundation, a good, strong base, a set to kind of do things you need to do moving forward. And, you know, I, I do think it's organic, man. It's, it's easy to plaster on a building on the side of the arena one of those gigantic 
know, fathead sticker like thing from Zion or uh, a top player free agent acquisition or draft pick and tell people this is the reason you should show up and watch the game and hope that that player performs. It's a complete other to have what we've seen right now. And what we've seen right now is the city falls for guys and follow guys that have earned it through their play, the underdog mentality, the ability to kind of outperform what I guess expectations were, right? I mean, from the second round pick in Herb Jones to an undrafted guy in Alvarado, uh, those two guys are, they're uberly popular right now. <laughs> I mean, uberly popular. And, you know, Alvarado didn't make, isn't making Willie Green's life easier, right? Even when you go back to game five, where literally fans don't want Devontae Graham to play five seconds until five minutes. But it's hard to argue that case when literally every single time Alvarado's on the court, he makes an impact. He has some big threes to get the team close to the fourth. He gets that eight-second violation again on Chris Paul, who then gets a technical foul because he's frustrated. I mean, but that reminds me of, you know, Pierre Thomas and Moore and not only for you, but, you know, Shanley and other guys on the scene that just, they, they kind of, one year Marcus Colston, you know. What exactly? No, Colston too. You're right. I mean, it's crazy. I didn't even think about him because I thought he was such a big star, but he was a seventh round draft pick. So, I think that's what you're seeing, and I do think there's an interesting sort of pause right now. I wouldn't say a reset. I wouldn't say a lack of confidence because I think Saints fans are always going to be diehards no matter what, and there's a. 100%. Overwhelming that you believe that they can do stuff, but at the same time, I do think that there is a sense of, well, let's see how the Dennis Allen thing is going to sort of go. And look, there's, and again, I, I'm not, I, I'm glad you said it too, Scott, to to the way you said it. Not choosing to be a Pelicans fan or a Saints fan. You're a New Orleans fan. You love the Pels. Louisiana sports fan, you right? You so equally. You yeah, know, exactly. You're in Lafayette. Because I mean, when they first moved here, dude, for some reason, that's, that was the case. I, I don't understand it, but look, it was spurred on by ownership. You know, Tom Benson did everything he could have done when they first moved here to discourage businesses, to advertise with the Pelicans, to discourage, you know, fans, to, it, it was, if you don't, if you love the the Hornets, you don't love the Saints. That has changed drastically, obviously, now 20 years, right, because they've gotten here, essentially. So to where you are now, where I, I just think in the city, you, you love this. I mean, I love this, right? I mean, I'm having to it's great. watch a game six. Well, and, 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 and you guys are the flagship station the for the Pelicans, too, yeah. Right. But, but what I'm saying is, like, I'm, you know, I'm watching the draft and, and the game at the same time, and I don't – when they're not doing well or you didn't have the NBA, you remember what it was like. I mean, you're, you know, doing what you do for that one to two week period in movies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, I love it. I, I absolutely love it because by the time the draft in OTAs and minicamp ends, then it's going to be time for the NBA draft at NBA free agency. And that brings you right into the start of training camp, man. It's fantastic. 
And let me, um, yeah, absolutely all around. I want to correct myself from something I said earlier. I mentioned the last time the franchise had a playoff game the same day as the draft. As I'm thinking about it, actually, it wasn't the, the win against the Nuggets. It was the loss to the Lakers. It was game six. Um, Chris Paul and, and his last game in a New Orleans uniform. They lost in game six at home to the Lakers, uh, who went on and got swept in the next series by the Mavericks, who went on to win the title that year. But that year, the Saints had two first-round picks. Now, didn't know it going in. They drafted Cam Jordan and then moved back in the first round and took a guy named Mark Ingram. Worked out pretty good for the Saints that night. Hopefully it works out for both teams tonight. Um, and, and, and we can close with that, Gus, as you look at this matchup. I know, you know, on Wednesday's show, I got some emails of people saying, you know, the Pelicans blew the game and this and that. And I'm like, look, Mikel Bridges had 31 points in 47 minutes. He had five boards. He had four blocks. Campaign played well. They had... Their role players played in a big way. The Pels got behind the eight ball early. Folks were talking about the refs, and the, the refs weren't turning the ball over a ton. The Pelicans were. The Suns beat them straight up. Now, game four, the Pelicans beat the Suns straight up. It's been back and forth. No team has won two consecutive games. I'll give you my key, and then I'll toss it back to you for yours as we wrap up this conversation. I was talking to Garrick Rattler the other day from Pels Pod about it. I think, again, I think the key when you look at how each of these games have played out is getting Valanchunas the ball early on offense, not because, you know, he's going to score, and he, he will. I mean, he's, he's had good stats in the series, but when they do that, it, it takes Aiton away from the goal, and it opens up more lanes. There's more offensive rebounds. There's more activity. It just feels like there's more ball movement. You know, Tuesday night, there were way too many times where there wasn't much ball movement. Guys are getting, you know, they can't they can't penetrate. They can't get it in the paint. They're settling for long twos or contested threes, and it's leading to long rebounds. Phoenix is getting out on a fast break, or it's leading to turnovers. Phoenix is getting out on a fast break. You know, get it, get it to Valanciunas early. I'm not saying do that for 48 minutes, okay? But I think when you start doing that on offense early, it opens more things up for Brandon Ingram. CJ McCollum has not had a great series. He needs to have a big game tonight. Get it to Valanciunas early. There are a lot of things the Pels need to do to extend this to game seven. But that, to me, is my big key. Give me your number one key, and then we'll let you run. Man, um, I would think, to your point, along your lines, I think if you start with – you could easily make that case for Valanciunas. I think it's the key. In games where he's been offensive and dominant, Pelicans have won, period. Um, he kind of came to life in the second half, but it was too little too late almost. Um, I think if he would have done that, maybe Bridges and all those other guys aren't hitting shots. I mean, look, Mikel Bridges had to have literally not only a career playoff and a career game for him, it literally one of the top five playoff performances. Yeah. You know, ever. And you should so, have to tip your cap and say, look, we're not expecting that every game, but good for you. I mean, that's what uh, you got to tip your cap to him for it. I don't expect him to do that tonight. You, you have to give something up. You have to give something up if you want to stop eight and ten. Right. And that's exactly what we talked about on Tuesday. You have to live with Cam Jordan, I mean, Cam Johnson, Cam Payne, and Mikel Bridges shooting and hitting shots. You have to live with it. Like, you saw Tuesday the real JaVale McGee, right? That Wilt Chamberlain from games three and four, we didn't miss. So you just, some nights you have to tip your cap. I mean, the guy made shots. You know, I mean, 
through four games, that dude was hitting the rim. He wasn't making any shots. Game five, 31. That guy had to hit 31. So you just have to chalk it up to that. And to your, I could probably make the case that there's more in the things that the Pels didn't do than what the Suns did do. Paul looks exhausted in that, uh, in that game five. He had a, a moment or two, and he had, look, 16 early points, but he didn't feel like he couldn't overcome it, and the Pels kept coming back, coming back, coming back. And, Scott, I hate to say this, but right now, C.J. McCollum is going to have an awful summer because he's going to have a hard time closing his eyes and thinking about this series in the last two games where – even though he winds up at the end of the day with 21. Uh, yeah, but on what, 22 shots? I mean, that's not efficient. Dude, that's not efficient. He, if he does anything in the second half, I think at one point he was 0 for 5, which is 6 for 7 before he finally made one and then he missed the next four. If he does anything in that game five, whenever down six, they steal it. They steal it. He missed wide open looks, they missed free throws. Um, I thought Willie Green had another learning experience. Um, the menace that Devontae Graham played killed you. I think it's been proven the most effective person right now in Chris Paul is Jose Alvarado. Not to mention the guy hit threes. You just you have to roll with him. I mean, I, I need that guy, you know, helped off the court because he's played so much. I just I think you got to do that. But my key is C.J. McCollum. Scott, if, He's, he needs a 30-point game. And the thing is, he has a 30-point game. It's there. We just talked about it in game five. He finished with 21 points. And all I remember is the missed shots. Like, the amount of missed shots he had. He missed 15 Three, shots. Two. He missed seven threes. Dude. He only missed one free I mean, throw, but it was like at a crucial time. And it, he's missed some right, others in this but, series. And it, it's... No, and, look, and he, has, he hasn't played well by his standards. Fouls. You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I'm looking at game five, and yes, the storyline is Mitchell Bridges. Yes, it's the sun showing up. Yes, it's the crowd. I would make the case and argument the storyline of game five is the Pels blew it. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's from a Pelican standpoint. You know, I'm sure Phoenix feels the same way in some of the no, it's like. I, I know, but what I mean by that is they didn't, they didn't play at all to their capabilities and what they have played in, in the four previous games. They, even the two that they lost previously to that, guys, I – they didn't. And I'm not saying that to be a Debbie Downer discouraging. I'm almost actually saying that to be a positive. That you literally didn't do anything that you had done that had helped you be successful. And, you know, B.I. didn't seem impactful. CJ didn't seem impactful. Jonas showed up too late. You have to have those big three to play. Now, that said, that's what I said going into the game on Tuesday, Scott, is that the confidence level that Pels fans have and the team has is fine. But understand what the Pelicans have had to do to get that in those two wins. Those three guys have got to play great. You have to have performances off the bench. You have to defend your butt off. And they have to miss shots. That's everything that has to happen for you to beat the number one seed without Devin Booker. With Devin Booker, you have to do it even more. So I think there's a, a case of realism to go with all of this here as well, you know? But you have an opportunity at the time, but it's just there's a lot the Pels have to do in order to compete with the number one seed. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus Cadengill has been our guest doing the Pro Nola segment one day early this week. Uh, Lynn Burton will be filling in for me tomorrow morning. 
and uh, he'll have plenty to talk about with you guys between draft and Pell's Game 6 tonight. That's going to do it for the Pro Nola segment with our guy Gus Kattengill, host of the Sports Hangover on ESPN 100.3 New Orleans, flagship of the Pelicans, uh, noon to three weekdays at GCAT underscore 17, at GKATT underscore 17. Give him a follow on Twitter. Gus, always appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks for coming on a day early this week, and uh, enjoy all the content you're going to get to feast on on your show come uh, come tomorrow on Friday, and today for that matter, but certainly tomorrow. Always a pleasure, and here's to the Saints not making oh Friday God. morning a miserable day Don't for all do of it. us. No, come on, come on. All the best, man. Appreciate For sure, buddy. All right, stay tuned. Uh, the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show coming up. Uh, Gerald Broussard going to join me for a segment. Uh, big event happening in Lafayette today. A great thing to do before the game and the draft tonight. Great cause, great prizes, all kind of greatness. We'll have open phone lines after that as well. Hit on the rest of the NBA playoffs. Raging Cajun softball from last night. A look ahead to the Diamond Sports this weekend. All that and more coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Welcome into the eight o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Gerald Broussard on the phone with me to kick off this hour. You guys know him from uh, his, you know, you know him from the radio, right? Maybe you know him personally. Maybe you know him in life, but you've heard him as the color commentator for Education Football, a frequent guest on this show and others. Uh, an all-around great guy, and, you know, we're going to talk some football. We're going to talk some Fin Feather Fur Festival. we got a lot to dig into here this morning, little NFL drafts. Good morning, G. What's going on? Uh, it's a good day, Scott. You know, starting the draft day, you mentioned the F5, and then that's going on today also. But, you know, the first day of the draft, it's changed so much, Scott. I mean, going back, it used to be, you know, just a long and, and not a very publicized event, and now it's become a true spectacle. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I know a lot of people around here are also. Yeah, I, I laugh about, uh, gosh, I don't remember all the details <coughs> of former education Chris Gannon in his draft story, but going, you know, to the to the Patriots and I don't know, I feel like he wasn't at home. He wasn't expecting to get the call. He was I wish my, my memory could remember correct, but it's it's a good one. And, you know, a lot of people 
that get drafted, they have their draft story. And some guys that don't get drafted but end up making it in the NFL, they have a draft story, right? Well, I thought the phone rang or I didn't expect it to ring or, or, or whatever, whether it be Chris going in round four, whether it be Robert Hunt going in round two a few years ago, or whether it be wherever Max Mitchell and likely uh, Percy Butler go in this draft, Gerald. So let's let's start there with some raging Cajuns. Uh, you were former old lineman. You're former coach. You've watched Max Mitchell come from North Louisiana down to Cajun country and turn himself into an All-American. What kind of impact do you think he can have at the pro level and, and maybe what round would you expect him to be drafted in? I think that, that Max will be a mid-round guy, mid to, you know, I'm saying mid, four, five, six, somewhere in there is what I'm, I'm kind of guessing on. Uh, and look, it, it's it's truly a guess. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, you know. I still have friends in the scouting business. I'm not as tied in as I was uh, when I was coaching and, and stuff like that. But uh, just in watching him and, and, and hearing some people, I have gotten a couple calls from some friends that want to know about him as a person. I don't know Max. I see him on the road, and, 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 and I, I met his dad when he was a true freshman out here in one of his early uh, scrimmages. But I tell you, he's a good player. I think he's a guy that's going to be around for a long, long time if, if given the opportunity to continue to progress. Um, I, I, Max did not redshirt. And so not having a redshirt year there is something that, that you know, he, I, I think uh, looking back on it, you know, as a big kid, he was, he was lean and athletic and played on his athleticism, Scott, but, but never had to that extra, you know, people, everybody gets to college and puts on 20 pounds. Well, Max didn't get to do that, and that's that's being nice with some people. Uh, he didn't get to do that the same way because he, he um, ended up, you know, just playing football. His, his first year, his, his first semester in college, he's on the field and playing. And so, you know, I, I know a lot of guys, when they get there, they spend that first year putting that, that big solid foundation of body weight in there behind them and mass and strength. Uh, but, but Max is, and now that he has stopped growing, because he continued to grow, and, and he will put that the little 5 to 10 here and just be bigger and stronger to go along with his athleticism. That's the thing that's going to keep him playing a long time, is his ability to react and to counter to people's aggressive moves on him and that. Uh, I, I think he's got a bright future if in the right situation and given a chance to continue to develop. Gerald Broussard, our guest. Um, you've seen a lot of raging Cajun O-linemen come through in recent years and make it to the league and play in the league. And, you know, Max Mitchell will be another one of those guys. Percy Butler, you know, I think he's a late draft pick. And I do think he gets drafted. And And while he's a good DB, look at what he does on special teams as why I'm fully confident he's on a roster next season. Uh, you know, whether you're a late draft pick or UDF, it's still it's still a battle to get on a roster, but we talked about it plenty, right? And you and I, you know, we used to watch Hard Knocks back when it was good, but, like, that special teams, is that's it. That's you're, If you're a fringe guy, that's how you're going to get on it. And that's part of Percy's game, I think, that, you know, when you're, when you're watching the NFL draft, you're not going to hear Kuiper talk a ton about be a fantastic ability on special teams. He's going to be talking about, you know, uh, you know, how does he defend the deep ball? How is he in zone versus man? Let me tell you something. Percy's special teams, I think that's why he gets drafted here, and I think that's why he's going to be playing on Sundays next season. Well, I 
that's going to be a big asset to him, and he's also going to keep him around long enough to develop into a position player, too. And he showed something at the combine, just his sheer, just outright ability to run. And, and, and that speed is something you can't fake. You know, you either got it or you don't, and he's got it. And then he, he made a lot of plays out there for the Cajuns over the years and then just was an impact player for him, for the Cajuns. But but as you say, Scott, he, he brings value to the team being able to grow into a position, and uh, whether you be an undrafted free agent or a late-round pick, most of the time they're looking at well, what's the differentiator, differentiator but between you and somebody else and his just speed is going to be something that's going to keep him on kickoff cover, on kickoff return, whether it be as a, not, not necessarily as a return guy, but just in there being able to block on all the punts and punch returns and all the special teams' abilities. The other thing he can do, Scott, he can catch. He's a DB that can catch. And so if, if given the opportunity to continue to develop into a position, I'd say, similar to what I said, I know talking about Max, is that continue to, to grow in that position, Scott, he he's going he's going to be on a team, as you said. His special team ability is going to make him going to keep him on a team and give him a chance to be a player. And I, I he's the kind of guy that could be around a long time and have a nice story down the line. No doubt. And don't get me wrong, I, I think he can play DB in the NFL. But you know how it is, man. It's a numbers mm-hmm. game, and uh, when you get into yep. camp, you know that's that's part of it. And he did, you know, he he did good at the pro day, right, uh, for his weight and yep. height yep. and. Did good in the in the shuttle and did good in the vertical and there are a number of other guys, G, that I don't think are going to get drafted but have a good chance to to not only be in camps but maybe make a roster um, from this Cajun team and Big Sauce some might even be drafted. Uh, I think Taylor Humphrey, when you look at the size, you know, when you look at the, I mean, a twenty six inch vertical for a guy that's three thirty, uh, that's not bad, right? Um, you look at, no. uh, you know, doing 20 or more on the bench. I mean, he's so strong, and he's, he's got quickness for a guy that size. Uh, you, look, you look at guys for UL that are going to be in camps, I think, I think Big Sauce, great chance to, to make an impact in the NFL. Do you think he has a shot to be drafted? And uh, either way, do you think he's got a good shot at the next level? I, I think he has the ability to play at the next level. I, I, I question his draft ability simply because he, he is a specialized player for somebody. I don't know who that somebody is, but there's a, when we think about it years ago, you know, old Mount Cody who played for, for Alabama, you know, not everybody had them on their, him on their board, but for, for the Ravens, he fit a need for them, and they like that kind of guy. I, that's where I see Sauce maybe having a shot to go. Because, look, he's got shock ability. When Sauce hits you with a purpose, I mean, he, he'll weaken your knees. Now, I mean, he's just a massive individual, and they just there's not a whole lot of folks running the face of the earth that look like this and, 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 and have the athleticism to be there. What, what he does have, you know, he's, he's got some feet issues that he would have to stay healthy to be able to go through. But, but if, if, if kept in there and put in a need position, he can do things that not a lot of human beings can do. Only because there's not a lot of human beings look like that. 
I mean, he is just a monster. And so, you know, brought there in the camp somewhere like that, that they, they, they want somebody that will go in there and, hey, look, we're, we're just go in there, be disruptive for a couple of snaps. We'll get you out on third down and, and then bring you back in a little bit later. Go, you know, but for lack of a better term, just beat the heck out of the guy that's hiking the ball. Gerald and Bruce. he can do that. He can put two, two big hands on you and do that. Gerald Broussard, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, talking NFL draft from a Cajun standpoint. Uh, nobody's name will be called tonight in the first round, but we mentioned Max Mitchell. We mentioned Percy Butler. We mentioned Taylor Humphrey. Um, a number of other guys, I'll, I'll kind of lump them together in a minute, but one guy I got to single out, and maybe folks are like, who? Uh, Bobby Hill. Right, the long snapper. Look at his, I mean, you, you look at the haircut. You can look at the style. I mean, you're you're doing 19 reps of 225 on the bench at, at 218 pounds. You're doing a 32 inch vertical. You're doing a nine foot broad jump, and you're like, eh, and then you're like, oh, oh, long snap. Okay, um, it's hard to break. First of all, you're not going to get drafted as a long snapper. It's hard to break into the league as a long snapper. Now, we were talking about, you know, our, our friend Chris Gannon earlier. He actually did that for a little while in the pros, but that's not why he was in the league. But, like, you've you, you got plenty of experience. Your son, John, you know, uh, a tremendous long snapper, a tremendous deep snapper. You follow the specialist. You know how it is. What's and, – and, you know, Trey Junkin, I remember he, you know, former NFL long snapper. You knew yeah. him well. Like, what is – how do you break into the league – as a long snap, it's it's very very difficult, and and you know there's a couple of them as you mentioned. There's you'd be lucky if if you get one drafted every other year. You know Trey came into the league as a linebacker. Chris Gannon came into the league as a defensive end. A lot of them come in now that they're more specialized. You know you you have those guys getting shots, but it's it, again the, the, you know you, they're they're almost like the kickers, and, and there's there's a group of people that that tend to funnel them into and you talk about bobby's hair you know beautiful bobby in there running around with i wish i had throw. that hair bro i'd take it i mean i'm serious i'd give it to me it wouldn't hey, look good on me but i'd take it now, bro. <laughs> oh no you got it working up front i like it but but uh yeah and look it's just it's a it's a matter of being persistent enough to be in the right spot when something happens and if you can get in the camp just just get in the camp knowing that the chances you sticking aren't real good, but at some point you're going to get the call if you show the ability to put the time on there and, and to, just to, to be consistent. And and I, I think that that's the thing that and, – and, and you just don't know. I know Bobby worked out. He's put numbers there. He's got film from a lot of places. guy went to a lot of different schools. Mm-hmm. And, and he's been consistent through his career no matter where he's been. And and so now it's a matter of having and look I'm you know the agents can work this and know and keep in contact with the people and say hey look you know if your long snapper goes down we got a guy who'll come do it for nothing bro we just we just want to give it give him a shot just let it let us in and and almost kind of be a hemorrhoid a pain in the butt just to be there enough to when the time comes to to be able to get that itch scratched good stuff all right uh, before I let you go uh, a group of guys. Farad Gardner, um, Chauncey Manak, then on offense, Jalen Williams and Levi Lewis, who height measured at 5'8 and a half. Um, so he's only slightly taller than me. Um, very different mm-hmm. measured at the pro day compared to what he was listed as uh, in college. But you also have a guy that's got a ton of experience. In fact, all of those guys have a ton of experience. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what chances do you give that group? Maybe who stands out to you is, okay, they're all going to be in camps. Here, here's, here are the ones that have a good shot. I'm a big fan of Farad. I just really am. And I like all of them, not to say that I do. I mean, I'm not trying to slide any of them. I'm just a big fan of Farad, and, and I think that he, he's got that twitch and burst, and he, he was not healthy for his pro day and stuff, so I'm knock on wood, he, he's getting better every day. And I think he's going to be a guy, just like Chauncey, is a little thicker, but those edge players that find a way to make plays for you, they're just there's something to be said for them. And, and, and we've seen guys at, at that position come in as an under drafted free agent get on the field and then find their way on it that stay a long long time you know here seeing what you see numbers wise with levi as far as the physical measurements kind of makes me appreciate him even more i I knew how tall he was i saw him every every trip and i've been around him and rode elevators with him stood next to him and all that stuff but you know when when and I'm, I've got a little height to me, so uh, you know I, I don't see a lot of difference between five eight and six foot. I mean, you know, just you're kind of a lot shorter than I am. So, though, though, but you know, thinking that that he had the career he had with the measurables that he has now, and you know, maybe the Cajuns fudged on a little bit and recruiting and all that stuff. But hey, he was a great player at whatever size he is. Because you know, Brian Mitchell was five ten and a quarter from the day he walked on the campus to the day he left, and he was a solid five ten and a quarter. That's what he measured. What he measured for the pros, and and, and knowing that, we always thought he was small. You know, but but uh, you know, knowing what what Levi did representing that number one has been really awesome to see, and and you know, just those guys having a shot to keep it going, and we know what an undrafted free agent can mean. At one time, I haven't done the study in here in a couple of years. At one time, there are more undrafted free agents were first, second, and third rounders combined in the NFL. And so, you know, those guys, and it's, and they may be rotating a little bit more, but, but look, they're nearly, they're over 500, I think, this past season, around 500. If you went for like week one, I think it was like, I'm talking about last season, I think it was like, but when you think about the injuries and then COVID and all, and, you know, expanded practice roster, that number jumped by a lot by the end of the season. So well over. 500. I mean, it's 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 a path, right? It is it is a path to get in. Gerald Broussard, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prather. Steve Gleason, right? Um, a legend uh, in New Orleans, a legend in the NFL for for many reasons. You know, uh, partly for what he did on the field and what he's done living with ALS off of it. I mean, the man got a congressional gold medal for his contributions to uh, ALS awareness back in 2019 and. You know, he was uh, uh, broken in the league, UDFA, linebacker at, at Washington State, just a, a great tackler, but undersized. Okay, let's 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 bring him in. Um, let's give him a shot. I think he initially signed as a UDFA maybe with the Colts, and then when they released him, got on the Saints practice squad late in the season, and then from there just eventually worked his way onto the roster. And, and I bring up Steve because we're talking about the draft. We're talking about UDFAs. And, of course, Gerald, as, as I talked about with you last week, the Fin Feather Fur Food Festival, it's happening today, today at Blackham Coliseum from 4 to 8 p.m. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, meeting your friend Dale the other, uh, just a couple of days ago. And, you know, you have a good friend who's dealing with ALS. And what this event's doing here tonight, I'll let you take it from here, G, but... 
not only are you going to go have great food and fun, and there's a ton of you know memorabilia and other stuff, but man, get a ticket because you're supporting a great cause. But lay it down for us today at Blackham Coliseum, the Fin Feather Fur Food Festival, benefiting everybody, uh, everybody, excuse me, benefiting individuals with ALS. Break it down for us what the cause is and, and what folks to go out there today are going to get. So it's it's forty dollars a ticket, Scott. And tickets can be obtained at the door, and and all of the benefits for for the event go straight to Team Gleason Foundation. And so we, when Dale was diagnosed with ALS, uh, he, he came to to really Papa Joe Bernard, who was putting on F five before to fend for the Fur Food Festival that was benefiting other stuff. And and Dale asked Papa Joe, he said he said, what do you think about doing an F five to benefit Team Gleason? Why Team Gleason, Scott, is because Team Gleason takes and, and assists and helps and benefits people that are living with ALS. You met my friend Dale, and we, we you know, we got, I've developed a really close relationship with him, and it's with love and respect that all of us kind of get together to do this and kind of in honor of Dale, you know. And, and, and as Dale goes through the stages of ALS, he's going to need some assistance. And Team Gleason helps people dealing with that right now. You've seen Steve go from being diagnosed with the disease to, to now living in a wheelchair and going through everything he's going through with that. Uh, Dale is, sees his future in that, you know, and so uh, we, we will be able to, to to help raise a little money and, and a lot more money than we thought we were going to, but through the $40 tickets as well as any sponsorship, if anybody wants to go online and, and go to teamgleasonfoundation.org backslash F5, you can just make an outright donation there uh, to the F5, and, and we will be presenting Team Gleason with a check tonight. Uh, for as as close as we can get to that, it's a mock check, as close as we can get to the amount. But we, we've got 45 cook teams who have all paid to cook. And we've got a variety of, of dishes that it'll be sample dishes. Uh, Les Luquette, who works with with us and with our Goosehead agency, is, is, is our agency principal now. And Leslie's cooking tongue tacos. We've got some raccoon stew, but we've got some traditional dishes. Yeah, don't just be scared off by that. You got the, I mean, it's, yeah, it's cool to try, but y'all got plenty of other good stuff too. Yeah, we've got some ribs and some corn and crab biscuits, some etouffee, oh, yeah. and some fried fish with etouffee. And we've got uh, several different dishes in there to sample. We've got dessert dishes. We've got uh, beverages, adult beverages, non-adult beverages to be able to partake in. And and it all starts at four o'clock at Blackham. We, we'll start with a prayer and, and then a national anthem and a little ceremony there. At six o'clock, we'll have a live auction. We've got a Steve Gleason jersey. We're going to auction a Drew Brees jersey. We're we're going to auction a Joe Montana jersey. We're going to auction, and 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 we we have a several silent auction items between helmets and, and jerseys and pictures, and uh, we've got 200 door prizes that we're giving away. Come your on. ticket as soon as you walk in, you give me your ticket and just say, hey. Um, Oh, by the way, you just won $25 to here or whatever. You know, we, we've got over 200 door prizes we're giving away, and and. We're just trying to, number one, bring awareness to people living with ALS. Number two, to try and assist uh, by money to Team Gleason. And, and like I said before, we want to honor Dale and, and our, our friends with us and, 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 you know, and try and help out as best we can. And, and the Gleason Foundation has been really good to work with. And 
you know, he's he's his disease has made him into a legend, but he is a legend nonetheless, and and he shows such courage in dealing with it the way he is. And um, we look forward to seeing a lot of people, Scott. We were hoping to get you know four or five hundred people there. Uh, we're close to twelve hundred right now that that's are paid. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we were hoping to get, we were hoping to get twenty cook teams. We've got forty five, and that's all we can take. We just can't fit anymore. Uh, we were hoping to raise, you know, 40, 50 grand, give them a check, said, hey, they told us if you get to 40, we'll try and get Steve there. Well, we're, we're getting close to $150,000. That's wonderful. And, um, but, yeah, but why stop there, a, right? Why keep, walk up tonight, guys, if we're you're listening. For, yeah, come. And, yep. and as you just said, um, you know, so much you can't take it anymore. That That's what you can do tonight when you go. Just eat stuff yourself so much that you just can't fit any in there anymore. I know Gerald's going to be doing that. But it's $40, a, a, an incredible cause and an incredible time. Great prizes. So much more. The Fin Feather Fur Food Festival, benefiting people with ALS, working with Team Gleason at Blackham Coliseum. You know, if you plan on watching the draft, plan on watching the Pelicans tonight, Go early, right? And and the draft Saints won't be drafted until late anyway. You know, go the whole time, go late, whatever works for your schedule. It's long enough, and uh, it's long enough for you to be there when you need to be there. Help out a great cause and have a great time. So, Gerald, um, you know, congrats on on how much you guys have done. But I know you're not finished. Today's the day, and for everyone yeah. listening, get out there, support a great cause, enjoy yourself. In the meantime. Uh, anything else you want to add, my friend, before we let you run? No, I, I tell you one more thing. I did get a call from a friend of mine like Charles who actually heard you and I speaking last week. And he said, look, I can't make it. Can I don't it yet? You can do the, just what we said, teamgleasonfoundation.org backslash F5, and you can just make a donation. And, and uh, he actually, when he when his house got, got hit by, by – um, one of the storms in Lake Charles, Dale and I went and helped him kind of get stuff off of it. And he said, man, after all that, that stuff that guy did for me. And then now, you know, so it, it's really cool to see. And Scott, we can't thank you and, and the people who have helped us with this enough. And, and we're looking forward to it. And uh, and you got time. You know, you can keep up with the Saints draft there. And if you want to know who it is, I'll be keeping up on my phone. Come get me. There you have it. That is Gerald Broussard talking football draft and the F5 Fin Feather Fur Food Festival happening today blackham coliseum from 4 to 8 p.m gee i appreciate it as always my friend uh all the best and uh and we'll see you out there much love and respect thank you pal you got it that is g gerald broussard when we come back we'll open up phone lines 337-269-1077 worst case scenario for the saints tonight we'll dig into that NBA playoffs, Pell Suns, game six tonight. Third elimination game in the last 16 days for New Orleans. How are they going to handle it? Lots to get into. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues on a Thursday right after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. The biggest names in sports are talking to you every day on The Rich Eisen Show with me, Rich Eisen. I know! Every weekday from noon to 3, right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. He was the 1991 state champion in Nintendo. Ready, down, hood, hood, hood. 
It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Into the great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather coming at you on Thursday, NFL Draft first round tonight. You can hear it on our airwaves. Coverage begins at six. The Jags timer sets off at seven, even though they've been on the clock for a really long time. Must suck to have the number one overall pick in the draft two years in a row. I suppose if you're if you're a franchise that's struggling, having it once, it's something to rally around and be cool with. But then, like this, the next year, it's like, okay, this is enough. In the NFL, should the NFL implement some kind of lottery system, a draft lottery system? Don't you think that would shake things up a little bit? It's working for the NBA, has for years. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Louisiana Raging Cajun softball. They were back on the diamond at home last night. Jay Walker had the call last night on our airwaves, filling in for the Hall of Famer Stevie P. But they'll host Coastal Carolina tomorrow, Saturday. Tomorrow at 6, doubleheader Saturday um, at 2. Pre-game 15 minutes prior. Uh, the NFL draft will... Um, basically air after tomorrow night's softball game, wherever they are in the third round. And then Saturday, uh, it'll be airing before the uh, the doubleheader. But a solid start to the week for the Cajuns, who beat Houston. Nine hits, no errors. They feasted on three Cougar errors. They got the win, 5-1. to one. Megan Schwarman was solid in the circle. I mean, first five innings of work, just one, two, three, retiring the order. Retiring the side in order, rather. Um, she was solid. Eight strikeouts. Sophie Piscos was great. Three for three of the plate. A homer. A pair of RBI. As I said earlier this week, for the Cajuns right now, it's just about trying to play your best ball at the right time heading into, you know, the conference tournament and then the regionals after that. Because where you are RPI-wise, you're going to be a two or three seed in a regional. That's what you're going to be this year. That's what she's going to be. So, yeah, if you can go into it with a nice winning streak, you've won three in a row prior to that, you'd won, what, nine in a row? You got six left in the regular season. You can win another nine in a row. If you can have won 18 of your last 19 heading into the conference tournament in Mobile, you want to be playing your best ball at the right time. That's what these next two weekends are about for the Cajuns before they get set up. For the postseason. NBA postseason. Nothing great last night. Milwaukee crushed the Bulls to end the series. The Nuggets were feisty. They they had a lead in the fourth quarter, but ultimately just couldn't hang on against the Warriors. On the road. I mean, the Warriors, the Warriors are so tough. They're so tough. 
And now they await the winner of the Memphis-Minnesota series. It should be fun. Warriors, I'm sure, rooting for the T-Wolves because then they'd be at home. Memphis will be feisty. It'll be a feisty series if it's Grizz Warriors. But a lot of folks feel like the Warriors are the team in the West right now, the way things are going. Steph, Curry, Draymond playing together. Poole, what an addition he's been. But two series ended last night, as many expected. But what about tonight? Will the one seed in the series in the West, or will the pesky, feisty eight seed keep the series going? You've got Toronto and Philly tonight at six, where Doc Rivers is just starting to tell the media, hey, look, you guys say I've blown a lot of 3-1 leads, but just tell the rest of the story about why. And then you got Utah and Dallas uh, in Salt Lake City. That's the later game. Utah, Donovan Mitchell's playing hurt. Can they push it to seven? Who knows? I mean, for a team that's only down three games to two, a lot of people have just pretty much given up on the Utah experiment, including maybe the Jazz. But it's 6.30 tonight in New Orleans at the Blender, Pelicans, Suns. And if the Pelicans are going to do it, They're going to need to get the ball to Jonas early. But also, they're going to have to rely on their rookies. No team since the 05 Bulls have played rookies in as many minutes as the Pelicans have this postseason. And that doesn't include the playing games. That's just the first five games in the series against Phoenix. And after tonight, they might surpass the 05 Bulls. Between Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, and Trey Murphy... They wouldn't be here without him. But Trey Murphy is the one that, in the group, he gets he gets talked about, right? He was the first-round pick. He had the most hype. But Herb and Alvarado kind of, you know, talking about the Pelicans playing with house money, in a lot of ways, part of the fandom around them is the house money aspect because as a second-round pick in the NBA, it's an uphill battle just to make a roster, much less maybe be... NBA all-defensive team, which is what Herb could be this year. He'll certainly be NBA all-rookie team. And Alvarado, I mean, come on. Undrafted free agent, shortest guy on the court on a two-way contract until March, and now he's out there pickpocketing Chris Paul late in the game, getting everyone fired up, talking about no one thought I'd be here. It's fun. But Trey Murphy, being the first-round pick and having early season struggles, it was kind of like, ah, what's the deal with this guy? First of all, he's a rookie. But he needs to be playing, and he needs to be playing much, much more in this series. Why? It's simple. Spacing. Trey Murphy has played 98 minutes in this in this series. And in those 98 minutes, he is plus 33. The Pelicans have outscored the Suns by 33 points when Murphy is on the floor. Now, he's been on the bench more than he's been on the court. He's been on the bench for 142 minutes in this series, give or take. About 143. The Pels are minus 36. I mean, come on. He was great in the game against the Clippers, but it is about 
spacing. Jackson Hayes was good in game two. I get it. But guys, no one is guarding him on the wing. No one's worried about him shooting a three-pointer early in a game. It doesn't matter if you just stick Trey in the corner offensively or at some point in the game. Give him more minutes. Then we talk about penetrating. We talk about getting in the paint. We talk about trying to get the ball to Jonas. It's harder to do when you have a defender sagging off of Jackson and just waiting for either the pass inside or to help out on the screen or trap or double team either Brandon Ingram or C.J. McCollum. Literally, Trey Murphy could just be on the court offensively and just standing in the corner or on the wing beyond the three-point arc, and it is opening up the offense. Proof's in the pudding. Plus 33. He needs more minutes tonight. He needs more minutes tonight. Saints on the clock tonight with two picks in the first round. Worst case scenario, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, is if they trade those first round picks to move up really high to take anyone. See, they might be telling themselves on airline drive they're as close to a Super Bowl as they were in, say, 2018 or 2019. The truth is they're not as close. They're not bad, but they had the most depth in the NFL during that time. Right now, they don't. It's not about having a three-player draft like you had in 2020. A three-player draft. No, it is about getting multiple quality players that can play right now, especially with those first two picks. And then again at 49 but especially with 16 and 19. And God forbid you, 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 you trade two to move up to take a quarterback in a draft where it's not quarterback heavy. Uh-uh. No. They take a quarterback, if they take Ritter or Corral or whatever, because they're, they're there at 49 and they just see value and they're high on our board, we'll work with them and it's not going to be a one-year thing. I don't even know how to be crazy about that, but okay, whatever. You need high-end quality starting players day one at 16 and 19. You need two of them. Vicky Loomis said it over and over yesterday in his press conference where he pretty much didn't say anything at all other than making jokes about Sean Payton, which if you missed it, you can read about that over at ESPNLafayette.com, but or the ESPN Lafayette app. Yes, shameless plug. But he got asked, Numerous times, you know, what was the motivation behind the trade with Philly? Are you trying to do this? She just said, look, we knew we could get a quality, good player one year earlier, and that's why we did it. See, Dennis Allen and Loomis, they, they're, they're not, they're just openly saying, we're not going to really tell you things. They're trying to not let any information get out of Saints camp. Thing is about the draft, even if they did, is anyone going to believe it? The veil of secrecy. The smoke screens around the draft. Mm-mm. What are you going to believe? I said earlier a bold prediction doomed to fail that Jordan Davis would be a saint tonight when all was said and done. Something else doomed to fail. Top 10 draft pick prediction. You see, I got an email 20 minutes ago. From Jerry, he's like, Scott, I see you talking trash about draft pundits missing a ton of picks. 
Why don't you give us your top 10 and we'll see how it does tonight. First of all, I'll be happy to do that. And, it, and it's, it's doomed to fail for certain. But secondly, I wasn't ripping on pundits at all. I, as a matter of fact, it was the opposite. I was defending them. There are going to be charts out there making fun of Mel Kuyper, McShay, all of them. Oh, look how many first-round picks they got wrong. And my thing is, everybody gets them wrong. You got no shot to come even close. It's extremely unpredictable. Extremely. You look most years, most of the big-name pundits that follow the draft closely, they miss a ton of first-round predictions in their, quote, mock drafts, which are all, they're, they're, they're set up to fail. But then when you start comparing it to others that release mock drafts that perhaps don't follow it as closely as them, and you realize, huh, 8 out of 32, it's better than most people, actually. Not, they got 9, well. But yeah, sure, sure, Jerry, I'll give you a top 10 that's doomed to fail. Why not? This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. It's a great Scott show. Take a quick timeout. Come back with the first pick in the NFL draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. back into the great scott show big thank you to gus for joining me a day early this week to gerald broussard appreciate you guys listening this morning i will be out tomorrow lynn burton's filling in he's got a boatload of big time guests lined up for a morning where there will be a ton of things for him to talk about between 6 and 9 a.m big day in professional sports in the state of louisiana between the pelicans and the saints should be fun. We'll have plenty of stuff for you as well on our website and the app, ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. But if you haven't downloaded it yet, what are you waiting for? Come on. On-demand listening, podcasts of the show, tons of stories, contests, content. Listen wherever you are via the stream. Listen live. It is all there for you right there in the palm of your hand with the ESPN Lafayette app. Top 10 mock draft. Yes, I am mocking mock drafts, so let me give you a top 10 so you can all mock me. Mock, mock, mocking on heaven's door. Number one. This is probably where it gets... It's just, <laughs> mock drafts are so dumb. Uh, with the first pick in the NFL draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah. With the second pick in the NFL draft, the Detroit Lions select Trayvon Walker. 
With the third pick in the NFL draft, the Houston Texans select Iki Ikwanu, offensive tackle out of NC State. With the fourth pick in the NFL draft, the New York Jets select Kayvon Thibodeau, DN out of Oregon. With the fifth pick in the NFL draft, the New York Giants select Evan Neal, offensive tackle out of Alabama. With the sixth pick in the NFL draft, the Carolina Panthers select Charles Cross, offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. With the seventh pick, in the NFL draft, the New York Giants select Sauce Gardner, cornerback, Cincinnati. With the eighth picked, the team that blew a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl will select Garrett Wilson, wide receiver, Ohio State. With the ninth pick in the NFL draft, the Seattle Seahawks will select Derek Stingley out of LSU. And with the tenth pick, the New York Jets will select wide receiver, Drake London, out of USC. I mean, they're salivating over... Debo Samuel, who's apparently not going to be traded, maybe. They need a red zone target. That is your top 10 that is doomed to fail. That's it. Just telling y'all. Got time for a phone call or two, 337-269-1077. If anybody wants to get in here at the tail end of the show, let's head to him. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Hello. Hey, Yo. what's happening, Duracell? What up, Scott Copper? Uh, I'm never up early enough to catch this show, so it's very nice. I'm assuming you talked Pels quite a bit already. Uh, you want to do some more? Hell yeah. Yes, boy. Not on her, baby. And Jose Alvarado, be, be the Jose Alvarado you want to see in the world. That's that's what I'm getting out there. Uh be be the Jose Alvarado you want the world to see you at. I don't know what's the phrase. Now you, come on, the, so, be, be like him. Be the change you <laughs> be the change you want to see in the world. Be the Jose Alvarado you want to see in the world. I got you. Be I got you. Jose Alvarado. All right, since we're just doing yes, dumb, since we're doing dumb dad jokes, uh, you win tonight and then you go Alvarado game seven, right? That's right. That's right. Look, all we got to do is get one, and then the the Suns are going to be all. Look again. We got everything to to gain. They got everything to lose. So uh, I wish the shirts in the blender were a little bit cooler. For why did they? Why did they but, look like? I so they had them on the seats for the play in against the Spurs. I was there. I mean, I gave it to someone after the game. They look like a little kid just sort of colored on them. Yes, yeah, somebody said, like, <laughs> why not... do I feel like I'm getting, like, a pack of crayons and a, a coloring book? That's what it looks like. It's like it is not good. Yeah. I mean, I remember when they swept the Blazers, you know, four years ago. Larnard was there, and he brought me one of the ones that were on the on the chairs there. You know, the whole Do It Bigger campaign, which was weird. But, um, like, at least they used, like, normal font, and it looked like a real T-shirt. This looks like it was designed by preschoolers, these ones they've been giving away. No, and and it's it's disappointing because the past two were so good. Like that, you got a fight shirt, man. Like I would, I would that gotta was, fight somebody one, yeah. for that shirt. That's got to be the, that's got to be the new hashtag next year, right? YGF. I mean, you can't it won't bow down. Sure, uh, you got to fight. That's that's got to be it. Exactly. Well, exactly. Somebody in marketing came up with "won't bow down" and like, okay, that's fine. But Who says fight, that? By like, the way, yeah, everybody, boy, everyone in South Louisiana, like, yeah, won't bow down. Yeah, exactly. But like, our our dude actually said that. But uh, no, man. It's I agree. That's got to be it. And at least they've they've done pretty well. In in obviously, I mean, they made a damn shirt out of it already. Like they they 
they should. I, I think I think we'll be good on that. The main takeaway, man, is what what a fun ride over the past couple months, right? Like, I I haven't even I I had to tag up a couple of extra nails on our front uh, stoop the to flag. put up our festival flag. To put, well, no, to put up our festival flag because I haven't taken the Pels one down because I can't mess with this vibe, man. Like, we're rolling. Right. They, they have... Even, they hopefully have it continues. Hopefully it continues, but even if it ends tonight or Saturday, it doesn't, it, you know, it sucks that it ends, but it's not like, uh-oh, oh. now the... now It's not this worrisome offseason. It's like things can only get better, right? Absolutely, man. We we own the Lakers' future, and like so many picks, like we. And then you know maybe one of the craziest basketball players ever will eventually get healthy and be on our team as well. Yeah, so just, no, it's it's good stuff. Pels and seven, baby. Great call. <laughs> you know, Aaron, since you're not up early, you can always listen to the show via the podcast on the ESPN Lafayette app, or you can subscribe to the Great Scott Show podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts: Google, iTunes. Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, all that. I'd appreciate it. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Dan Patrick Show is next. I'll talk to you guys Monday. Lynn's filling in tomorrow. Love you guys.